American dream, right? It's like you, you spend your life working for your retirement. Golly, what a lot of shit, man. I would tell young Lori to slow down and allow the season to do its work. Don't say healthy, don't say happy, don't say well, and don't say normal. You show me one person on the planet who's healthy, happy, normal, and well. Who is that person? Is there something good that can be gained quickly? I don't know. Guys, welcome to the Ensense Podcast. I am Blaine. Eldridge. And that guy over there is Sam Eldridge, Samuel John Eldridge. And we are here this morning to talk about stock market algorithms. This is where I sign off, folks. (laughs) We're actually talking about something else, but I realized in the course of talking to our podcast this morning, this is... One of those rare opportunities where something I've written about becomes relevant. And here it is. It's really interesting. So you probably know that there are artificially intelligent, aka, you know, there are these algorithmic, genetically algorithmic, genetic algorithm, stock traders operating on the stock market uh, that I build rules, build a bunch of if-then rules in response to market states, and then execute trades based on their sort of complex coded framework. That originated uh, in this experimental multidisciplinary project called the Santa Fe Institute Artificial Stock Market, the SFI ASM, which is a fascinating story in its own right. It was sort of a collaboration between economists and physicists and people that were just interested in complex systems. But what they did is they said, can we make a learning algorithm that will start acting like a human person does when it comes to stock trading by making them risk-averse and by making them want to maximize profit and then by giving them the ability to remember a market state and then to make a decision about whether to buy or sell. And if everybody just has that, there's no governing principle, there's just a bunch of algorithms interacting with each other. Does anything like stock market behavior emerge? The answer is yes, it sort of does uh, for a lot of intuitive reasons, but you know, if you make an actor who is like a person start doing what a person does, ends up looking like a person. And if there's a lot of redundancy in that sentence, That's on purpose. Anyway, this is what's interesting for today's podcast. One of the odd things that happened in the SFI ASM is the algorithms were really bad at making decisions about time, or it it took a really long time before the algorithm could figure out how long it would take for something to happen, because the algorithms would be fed a market state. Here's where things are. Here's how much buying and selling happened at the end of the last period. Here's the current price of a stock. Here's how much money you have. And then given all that information, make a guess about what's about to happen and decide how much to buy or sell. And what would happen is these algorithms, 
which not being people, they would be fed this market data and go, oh, given that set of factors, there's about to be a selling spree. And so I am going to buy a ton right now. I'm going to play the game of accumulating stock at a good price. And then the next period would happen and nobody, none of the other algorithms would be selling a bunch of stock. And what's interesting is what they would see would be true, that given a certain state of factors, you're headed towards an economic downturn. But these algorithms running inside this computer don't have the communal, conversational knowledge base of how economies function, that things happen slowly. And it was just this really interesting reality of these computers were making decisions that were right in particular time frames, but had an extremely difficult time in the beginning. And sort of the, the problem of stock market algorithmic traders was how do we build in the ability to figure out how long something is going to take to happen because they would see something that's going to happen in the long term and think it was going to happen in the short term, like downturns or upturns. And then they would see something like a long trend uh, and go, oh, like the value of this asset is going up. You know, I'm going to do X right now. And they would make a wrong short term decision. Uh, like they would sell a lot of their assets when in fact you should hold them for a long time and sell them slowly. And the reason this is relevant for our conversation this morning, besides the fact that that's really interesting, that it's hard to get an algorithm to think about time the right way, is most of the time when we think about our lives, I find that I think about the wrong time frame. And this became relevant last night when Em and I were talking about basic financial goals for the month of March, which we're in. I just had to check. And that had to do with all the usual things, giving groceries, estate. It's going to be planting time is coming up for the garden. So let's make sure we're setting aside for seeds and bulbs. And then it was like, wait a minute. We are trying to have a conversation about extremely local expressions of much higher level principles. So we realized we have to zoom way out right now into a much, much longer periods to be able to make the decision that we're making right now because we're talking about the wrong time frame. So when you were talking about this this morning before we recorded, I found like I've had a lot of time-based conversations recently um, and some kind of unique ways. Like uh, kind of up through college, I would think of time in either semester chunks or even four-year chunks if I was going to be really zoomed out. And that, I mean, that was like big time thinking. And I remember being in high school and having some of those career type classes where people would be like, this is the job I'm going to have. This is who I'm going to be. I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going to be a dentist. I'm going to be whatever. And so here are what my next 14 years look like. And I'm like, 14? And you realize you are 14 years old right now. Like, how can you think that far ahead? I can, I don't know what I'm going to have for lunch today. And so I found myself going further and further down that rabbit hole into the hour, the day. My whole life is just one moment after the next. And that can feel very much like a 
pinball just kind of bouncing around. Like there's this thing and then there's this other thing and then you feel very frantic and not very grounded. And recently I've had a few different places where this posture towards time has emerged. I was reading the book Papillon. Um, I was mentioning this, I think, to you a while ago. For those of you that either haven't seen one of the two movies or haven't read the book, uh, it's a story of a French convict. He claims he was framed, but he was already part of the underworld and his prison sentence for life in French Guiana, kind of in between the world wars and his many, many escape attempts and his eventual success. In reading this book, which is totally fascinating, there were a couple of parts where he would have a, this posture towards five years or even 10 years. Like he would um, just sort of kind of dismiss it, like move very quickly through talking about this chunk of time that to me feels incredibly substantial. Like five years is a long time. A week can be a long time. But he would almost be disinterested in the person he was becoming in those five years or what was gained or lost in that time. And he would just move quickly through it. Like, oh, and then I spent this amount of time on this island or in this town. And then this next interesting thing happened. And I'm going to spend another chapter on several days that were really interesting. This happened in, not only in Papillon, which I totally recommend reading, but in a couple of other books. These people who were just not concerned with a, that much time passing, like it wasn't as though something was being lost for them. I found it actually really grounding because it was this posture of five years can happen and I may not have anything to show for it externally, but that doesn't mean that the trajectory of my life somehow got lost or that I hit this quicksand, or even if I did hit this quicksand or got lost for a little bit, it wasn't lost forever. I was able to like continue momentum. And for me, I, I found myself just kind of having this long exhale of, oh, okay, maybe I've been thinking about time wrong. I know that I am living in the present and I don't want to be living into five years from now or always putting things down the field. But it, it did, I think, kind of bring back this there are many different ways to be thinking about our lives and our time in this moment that can be very helpful. And we've touched on this before, that this is very different than the no wasted time or the how do you define success. This is it's almost like you're drawing this graph downstairs. It looks a little bit like a tornado or a funnel or steps that get progressively smaller and more present. Yeah. Because I'm fascinated by the fact that we also, we make the opposite error where, as Pascal says, we make eternity of nothing and a nothing of eternity where I totally identify with thinking too little about these 10-year periods where, oh, and then something happened and I was at this career for eight years and it kind of goes, whoa, that's a lot of time to just zoom past or... This is classically represented in the Count of Monte Cristo when he's in the Chateau d'If, the film version, not the book. And the Abbey Feria explains, well, let's see, if we can do this much a year or this much a week, that means this much month, that means this much a year, which means we should be able to dig our escape tunnel in 11 years. And he seems kind of relieved by that and go, wow, that is a lot of time to think about. And on the other hand, all the time we make the opposite mistake, which is 
to think about these long-term things as though they were actionable in the short term. There's a football coach whose name I can't remember, I'm sure one of you guys knows, who's famous for shifting the focus of his players from let's win championships to tackle hard. And he realized that most plays only lasted seven seconds, but even inside seven seconds, there were way too many variables for a player to remember. They couldn't be on the field thinking about formations of what is a receiver likely to do given that offensive formation. They could remember a little bit of that, but what they really needed to watch was if you are guarding a receiver, you watch his hips. You explode hard. You do these tiny things that are the things that are available to you in seven seconds. It doesn't mean that you never think about winning championships. It means by the time you get down to very small periods of time, what you're thinking about is very different. A lot of people will say, oh man, I've, I've got content for a book. I'd love to write a book. That's awesome. You should. And wanting to write a book is sort of something that's measured in a decade. But when it comes to the conversation we're having right now, it transmogrifies by the time it reaches the daily where it goes, if you want to write a book, that means you view your months in a certain way of how many open weekends you have and your weeks in a certain way and how many commitments you have so that you have carved out writing time. And then it means something in the daily, which is reading great books and writing words. And those, that hyper-local measurement is the thing that creates that incredible thing that is a book over time. So sort of the conversation today is talking about some time frames. Little, isn't that awesome? Realizing that a time frame is a way of arranging and presenting a particular period of time. Time frames that are relevant to the things that we're hoping to achieve in the 20s, 30s, and beyond. Morgan has this thing that he says a lot that you should do in the day and measure in the decade. And he had been doing that backwards. He was measuring his like accomplishment and growth in the day and sort of hoping to do things in the decade. And I think it's a very catchy saying, but it also, it doesn't necessarily hit me anywhere other than being kind of catchy. If it's the kind of thing for you, you're like, oh yeah, I gotta, I gotta measure and zoom out. Like, great. And that's, that's part of what we're saying. But for some tangible examples, Susie and I each year will, will pray and ask for words of like, what's, what's a word, what's a theme for this year? It may not be the ultimate theme. It may be very influenced by what just happened in the last few months of like November, December, because we do typically hold God to a calendar, even though he doesn't often like that. Um, and there's been sometimes where this, it's the same year or it's the same word from last year. Um, but to have that peace, um, we don't always get it. There was a year where we literally didn't get the, get a word. Um, and we kind of stopped listening for it. And I think that was <laughs> mostly our fault that we didn't get the word. Um, but we have that posture of like thinking of the thematics for 12 months at a time. We have got the the monthly budget, but that is that falls under the theme for the year. 
even if the word is super vague, even if it's just like kind of a thematic thing, our word for this year is frontier. And there's a lot of interpretations of that. There's a lot of ways that can go. But for us, for our personal walk, for the relationship that we have with God, that really connotates stepping out, that really connotates some unknown and taking some risks and growing in some very tangible ways. And so that that shifted some of our priorities in some things when it comes down into the monthly and then the weekly and then the daily. Those things can be informed by this theme for the year. And then all of a sudden the choice will make towards one purchase or towards one saving actually feels less frenetic. It can feel less just off the cuff. We've had this dream of getting scuba certified basically since we've been dating. Like we sign up for a class, ah man, almost eight years ago now. And then it didn't get full. And so, you know, we didn't get to do it. And then we've had this kind of, which where we throw our loose cash is in this cigar box to one day be able to do this thing. And that goal, that dream, that fighting for adventure for us that feels really inconvenient and really hard actually fits the frontier a little bit this year in terms of all of the other things you're making choices for. And so when it came down to, oh, should we really try fighting for this thing? It feels kind of inconvenient. It's always going to be inconvenient. feels really kind of risky and we could use that money for something else. We come back to, well, we heard a few things towards this and you've been saying this year's frontier. And so, yeah, maybe this, maybe this is the year for more choices like that. Even if that doesn't end up happening, it does have this posture shift towards the way we make decisions for play and adventure and savings and spending. And it does make me feel, even if it's incrementally, more grounded. It's huge. Can we zoom all the way out? I want to zoom all the way out and then slowly slide So when you say that, in. I think of Ben Patterson. I think of the oh. the campus chaplet at, at Westmont who would do that zoom out orientation thing. How far are we zooming out? Is this all the way out into like the mind of God or is this? Uh, yeah, about that far. Okay, great. Because you do start with ultimate time frames and sort of go, there's a reason that we spend a lot of time on the larger story. There's a reason that we return to the story of God and reorientation over and over again because we need a regular reminder, a regular experience of what in the broadest possible strokes is going on. God's heart and plan for creation, the destiny of the universe, and just to go, wow, you need to start with like, this thing has motion. Creation, fall, redemption, the moment we're living in, restoration, uh, and then as C.S. Lewis puts it, then things really start. Then finally starting into the destiny for which creation was initiated, generated, and go. First time frame we think of is the world, meaning all creation, was made for something and has a story of the way that that something becomes realized. And we live... In this epic moment, Jesus comes and initiates the end of the world. So we live in the end of the world in sort of the conflict of 
the person to person, moment to moment coming of the kingdom of God, the place where the reign of Jesus is recognized, which is eventually going to reach all of the universe. But, you know, in my neighborhood, it can really feel like trying to have the next conversation with my neighbor. And that's hard when I don't keep in mind, oh, I'm in this moment where if I were to take the longer view, oh my gosh, this is the principal conflict expressing itself locally, the conflict become between the coming of the kingdom of God, uh, all of the resources of heaven being open to people, being able to live in intimate union with Jesus as his friends again in an epic story. It's the intersection of that with my local, why isn't this going better? Why is there so much warfare night to night? We have that one, and then I'm just going to zoom way down across like a bunch of long historical views that can be helpful depending on what you're going to do because we're talking about our life. Like, how do I frame my life in time? And there's one that we sort of skip in the West. Our starting point is usually, what is my calling, destiny, dreams, desires? And that's a very important one, like your life. But I would also say that understanding the large-scale things around you is actually very important for decisions that you make in ways that you interpret your calling. I would say uh, how you interpret what the people of God are doing in your area is important. So there's sort of like a, what's the story of the revelation of Jesus in the region where I live or globally and then locally and then in my state? We had a guest come through recently who asked, something that I have never had anyone ask me at the table. They're going to be moving to this city and they were like Colorado Springs where we live. And they said, so what's the deal with Colorado Springs? Like sort of what do you guys understand it being for? What's the spiritual history of your city? What is it? Spiritual restoration look like? I had nothing to say at first. I like, I can talk about sort of different things that have happened here. There's a lot of Christian nonprofits and our coffee scene's really getting pretty good. We have an excellent coffee scene, but it was like, wait, do I ever think about what it's for inside the macro conflict of the kingdom of God? No. But that would be a very valuable thing to think about in interpreting my life. Right. It's the difference between being Gandalf and being Frodo. Gandalf is able to operate in the moment, but can also see the thematic things and motions and movements that are across time. Whereas Frodo just sort of seems to be the pinball and is kind of getting caught up and swept up and is barely making decisions by the minute. Um, Most of those are even being made for him. And there's a settledness and a purposefulness to one of those characters and eventually the other. Yeah, That's that's perfect. And we have a series in the works here, which is what are what does it mean to live after modernity? What are the sort of higher level trajectories of things that we need to understand in order to make sense of reality? But decision making, calling after the spiritual history of your place and the church in your place, that's where all position sort of the understanding uh, your destiny. And this one, is actually super fun because it just includes like, what are the things that are fundamental to you? 
and we know what a lot of those are out of the kingdom of God, and we know a lot of what that is in general terms and when it comes to ruling alongside Jesus, being chosen. But there's a flavor that's specific to a person that in the Ransomed Heart Orbit, we talk about understanding one way of framing that is your new name. And you'll tend to notice if you roll around Ransomed Heart and roll with that concept for a while, you will have set a lot and many of them will be seasonal and they will work in different ways as Jesus gives you like a piece of your identity to understand your 20s, a piece of your identity to understand your 30s. But this is where there's a level of, which I'll just call like your lifespan, your destiny, your lifespan, which is eternal. And it has to do with your dreams, your desires, and things like being a husband and dad live in that territory. I love recommending to guys that are married. One of the reasons that you read great books about marriage on a high level, like Mike Mason's The Mystery of Marriage, is to figure out what's a marriage for ultimately. You need to be a student of love stories if you happen to be in a marriage because you live in a love story. And I love being like, oh man, have you watched this film, Pride and Prejudice? Have you watched this film, La La Land, have you watched this? Like, there are ways to educate yourself and what are the major thematic realities of living in a love story that are helpful if your lifespan includes a love story, which it does. So, destiny. Things that I put there are like life with God, learning to be a husband, being a dad, and then under those things, a mission to men, and right now young men, And then my love of art and making visual art and to go, that doesn't really have a seasonal expression right now, but it's in that high-level territory of art, writing, wilderness, and the love of mountains and splitting wood and go, those things don't always realize themselves in my 2019, but I have this core set of like things that I understand to be core to my identity on this earth. Yeah, I think some of this can feel a little bit intimidating when, if you, if you were to make the assumption that Blaine is walking around always oriented to the whole story that God is telling and making decisions based on that minute by minute, this conversation started because of a budgeting thing that he and his wife were doing. I couldn't solve. And it, he was trying to like make a choice and didn't understand like which direction was north. And that's often my experience if you were to ask me, like, so what are some of the big thematic motions of your life? I'd be like, wow, that, that was a big sentence. Why did you uh, – give me a minute. Um, and yet, having sat with it, we're able to kind of bring these things forward of – it's really, really helpful to have these these pieces of orientation so that I am not trying to make the ultimate decision that's going to make me a good dad or a bad dad in this one response to my kids that's so much pressure and I'm bound to fail and really there's no mercy for if I get irritated because I totally blew it and it doesn't help me think about the future it barely helps me function in the present and so if this is new to you something that I would really encourage is to like sit with what are four long-term categories that you can envision your life in and you know, one of them could be what are, what's a theme for this year. Another could be 
what is the kind of person I want to be driving in towards? That's something that we've touched on in the past. Another could be, where do I see myself in the mission that we are in this point in time? Like, how am I responding to the themes of this story? I don't know what the fourth one could be like, but like they would be, it'd be a really good exercise that for me, I, I experienced some settledness in the, in the Papillon reaction to five years. Um, we've got a friend here in town who their job is really tough at the moment. And they're looking at having a really set couple of months. They're going to be particularly tough. And there's some squeamishness of maybe they made the wrong choice to be in that job. And I found myself going, you know, it's going to be tough for a couple of months, but that's just a couple of months. And I've certainly jumped out of a couple of different jobs when it was like, ah, this is kind of hard. I think I'm going to be moving out of this town soon anyway. So why don't I just like cut the cord soon and then I can actually like have a summer and I won't have any money, but you know, whatever. And to go like, what would you do if you actually had those higher level things? What if you did... Like, would you feel that same settledness that I felt of like, oh, five years can go by. If I have a theme I'm moving towards, I may not have like an Instagram worthy post in that whole five years. And that could be okay. And then it helps me turn to this friend who is a real person and go, three months is not the end of the world and maybe shouldn't be entered into with so much angst. Right. Which when I was 22 and the person I was at 22 Three guaranteed difficult months really took some consideration before I committed to them. Whereas you ask someone in their 40s about that and they go, what? Oh, my gosh. It's going to be over before you know it. I've had hard five years. It's such a good reminder that this originated with trying to figure out how much money should we spend on flowers and feeling like we couldn't make the decision relative to the time frame that we want to fix this refrigerator that doesn't work. And I was telling M, I feel like I can't make these decisions because these feel too big to have a time of listening prayer about of what's this decade for? And it was kind of this, yeah, that's actually true. It's good to be reminded that we actually have practices of figuring out what a season is for that takes time and God speaks into in a variety of ways over a long time with books and films and weekends away and trips and it's he builds out this thing like I never sat down for 25 minutes and prayed and asked Jesus what are the core categories that I need to think of my life in and heard like (laughs) men artist marriage dad husband like and it was oh my gosh so those things I have lots of little pieces on that Jesus has slowly pulled together. And then, yeah, some of the ones do get applied in terms of a decade. It helps make so many decisions when we can kind of, I just go, Em and I a lot look at each other and go, we are in a season that's a decade long at least, that is, we have young kids who are getting as much of our time as possible. After that, we have like our marriage and this like little kingdom we're managing and we're not that available outside those things. You mentioned how often do we think this way. In the strategy podcast with Anthony Ashley, he kind of did the reverse where he said, you also start with the why and you think, do you want to be hiking 14ers, 14,000 foot peaks here in Colorado when you are 70? 
Because if you do, that actually makes a lot of decisions about the kinds of things that you characteristically eat, the kinds of things that you characteristically do. And if you were to say, I want to do a triathlon, I want to do an Ironman next year, you could get there. And it would structure that period for you. If you said, I want to be able to still do Ironmans when in my 60s and 70s, all of a sudden it goes, whoa. Okay, there are big consequences for what you do, how often you eat a ton of sugar, how often you are completely sedentary for years at a time and just go, wow, these sort of final outcomes. It was helpful for him recently as we go, we're just barely wrapping our heads around homeowning, but it's nice to think about in this decade one, you know, we, I go, we're in this house right now, but I kind of think, because we talked about it, we're in this small house for, it feels to me, no less than seven years, no more than 10, probably. And somewhere in there, it helps make decisions about what we do and repair and manage in our house. So there's destiny of the universe, history of your region and the church in your region, your own life understood in like the basic terms of your identity. What do you want to be said about you as an 80-year-old man? And journal that list and return to that question. And then finally under that, you have the shortest period we've looked at, which is that 10-year seasonal thing and to go what is this decade for a few things under that you get to the thing you were talking about which is words for the year i love in five and ten year chunks i don't have a ten year chunk yet because i haven't been doing it that long but in five and ten year chunks to put in like little squares your word for the year right next to each other. And it's so cool how these higher level themes and trajectories actually emerge when it goes like, whoa, read a bunch of instructions for individual years inside timeframes of decades and their significance deepens. What does it look like to do those things well? I, at the end of my 20s, want to be like a more joyful more rooted, more resilient, more deeply connected with God person who likes to work and has an eye for beauty and can hold a conversation with a person. How do I get there? That's a decade long goal. And then sort of what a lot of what this podcast is, is what are the things that build that across 10 years or more? And then inside that, you finally have those year-long things three years ago. We had this awesome one where it was uh, year of the Lord's favor. And I went, that's awesome. Isaiah 61 is our word for the year. It's not everybody's word for always, but we prayed and we heard that. So that's great. And then the year after that was hold on a little longer. And it was like extremely difficult year. And then this year, the only phrase that I really heard was a hero. And it was like, that really excites the narrative part of my being. What do you mean? Who? Are you the hero? Am I the hero? Is there another hero? And there's sort of these year-long things under which you make local decisions. Is there another time frame beneath that? Yes. But sort of the nice thing about the months is that when you talk about what you want 
you gear to look like and what you feel like it's for, there's a lot of, oh, well, then what does that mean for January, February, March, April? The nice thing about the months, though, is that they are very often just working out the implications of the year. Like, if my year is for X, then my January, February, March will look this way. And sort of having those conversations and going, oh, man, if our year is not travel, extremely local, then that looks like getting some camping trips on the calendar for no later than April. Do we need to calendar them for like May and June and July and August? And then walking that out, I think one of the things that's hard in trying to make weekly and monthly decisions for me is that in a lot of ways, the smallest unit of time that's actually helpful tends to be a year. Yeah, it's so good. Um, And some of this is going to land, I think, a little bit more in the sweet spot for the strategy-brained people out there who are like, okay, this is my word for this. This is how I'm going to make every choice. This is how much money is going to go for grocery shopping. This is what we're going to do in the summer. Some people that are are less strategy-minded might be like, that's a lot to think about, and I don't know where to go next. When I think of the stories of success that get thrown out there, we get like these little glimpses of a company that made it really big or they did this cool project or this guy that sold an app. And I find that there's like typically two stories that get told. Um, There's the story that the media likes. It's this miracle. It's almost like you won the lottery. Like, look at these people totally lucked out or they're just genetically gifted and it can never be you. And then there's the people who sort of insist on telling their story of no, this moment actually has a decade of work behind it and there wasn't such a thing as an overnight success like I have been working towards this this theme this goal and those are the stories that are really helpful for me because they make me go like oh I'm not failing today because I haven't written the book yet that I wanted to write five years ago or three years ago or this year like if you want to be someone who's creating something you can be in the middle of creating it you can be driving towards it without failing because you haven't done it yet. It doesn't just snap your fingers and the thing is there. There's like a lot of room in here for diving into some places in your heart or your story or that you might not have yet. This is like the, the self-examined life. The unexamined life is not worth living. Like, do you know why you're making choices? Do you, do you have a vision for this year? Do you have a definition of success? Do you have a, a picture of yourself moving in a particular direction? Or are you just sort of getting swept along by things? And I, that happens to me all the time. I find like a week going by and I'm like, I was purely responding to things this week. Did not initiate, was not choosing. Life was happening to me. I was not happening to anything. And that's a crappy feeling and it's exhausting. And I sometimes need that. Like I, I get to the end of the week and I'm like, okay, well, that was a wash. Next week is going to be different. And then it's like, fast forward, it's another week. And I'm like, oh, that was a wash. It's really helpful to have these these long-term visions and orientations so that you're making the right decisions in the right time frames. Like Blaine's algorithms. We're not just getting the word of, this is a year of frontier. Like, oh, great. Okay, now we're selling our house and we're moving to a literal frontier. It's like, whoa, hey, wait, wait. You got the direction of the thing. Did you ask when? Do you know what the time frame is? Or are you like the little robot that just starts selling or buying because 
You can do the math, but you don't understand the time. 